nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. And still basking in the glow of that Milwaukee Bucks Game 7 win over the Nets last night. I am so excited to be joined by Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. Fellas, how are we doing? We're doing really good. We were talking before the podcast, even before Game 7. As the series, immediately after Game 2, we were like, it's going to be beautiful for Episode 100 of this iteration of the Brew Hoop Podcast to have us come back. The Bucks totally got swept and were a disaster of a team again. Or we turned it all the way around as the greatest series that we've witnessed. So I'm glad we're getting this outcome. Uh, feeling great. I got like four or five hours of sleep maybe last night. Stayed up until like 1.30, 2 a.m. Like, what's the opposite of doom scrolling Twitter? Whatever the opposite of that is, that's what I was doing. So I'm feeling good this morning. Yeah, I definitely thought after game two, well, maybe this will end at five or six and we'll come in and we'll talk about how everyone needs to go and we have to do a house cleaning. <laughs> you know, I had everything typed up ready to go and to wake up to a game seven win. That's always nice. It It is odd. I feel, I feel like every time, this is why we probably don't do a reaction pod every time because if we had record after game two, I'm pretty sure that would have been just the most negative thing in the world. If we had done it after game five, I think they would have been the saddest episode we've ever done. So to wait another, what, week and a half, wait until the series ends, that, this is good. This is good. It is a lot better to talk about the Bucks when they win than it is when they lose. It's honestly so grueling. I forgot what it's like to have an actual meaningful playoff series and go up and down. It, it Living and dying by each result of each game is terrible. My stomach was in knots all day Saturday. I just tried to busy myself the entire day. The 8.30 tip time is a really long time out here on the East Coast, but <laughs> it finally got there, and god damn it, they freaking did it. I mean, what? I'm still losing my mind over it. I, I, let's, just, let's just start off by showering praise upon Giannis, who had 40 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, an incredible game from him, 15 of 24, plays 50 minutes. I mean, what more could you ask from the guy, Riley? Um, take less three-pointers. Uh, besides <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> you know, Giannis is the kind of guy who embraces the there's always ways to improve. My my point for Giannis in the afterglow of it is take a couple less three-pointers. The rule should be he gets one three-point attempt each game. If he makes it, he can take one more. If he misses that, you stop shooting threes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he, he was excellent in every single round of the game. Um, I think... The beauty of this series was everybody asked, can Giannis rise to the occasion? Is Giannis just a bum? Is he a fake MVP? All these things. And it felt like game to game to game, he got better and better and better as they went along, um, especially game six and seven elimination games. Game six, he starts off a little bit um, shaky, a little bit predictable offensively, and then he rounds into form. He's getting guys involved. 
And in game seven, in a first half where Drew, I'm not going to say Drew Bledsoe, Drew Holiday, <laughs> we'll talk about that later, he is a wall in the worst way. And Chris, he's getting the shots up, but they're just not falling. They were pretty decent shots, but like his two co-stars were not there. And Giannis does enough, puts the team on his back and gets us within six points at the half. And after that, I mean, there's just, it was masterful. So uh, he's the franchise. He stepped up to it in a big way, in a way that I don't think he had previously. And with the spotlights on him, hopefully this changes or at least impacts the narrative around him. But salute to you, Giannis. It was an excellent game. Yeah, it's kind of funny because even though you could at least argue maybe Giannis wasn't the best players in the whole series, he still played a hell of a series. Other than Games 2's absolute disaster where that was just bad for everyone, Giannis had over 30 points every game. And that's one thing we were wondering is can you consistently be there for Milwaukee when things get tough? And I would say throughout the whole series he did, even with the free throws, even with the shenanigans that was going on surrounding James Harden, even the questionable, why didn't he guard KD during game five, which I, I I don't think, as we saw, maybe that's probably for the best because shout out to PJ Tucker and Drew Holiday. They made key stops on Durant and even Chris Milton chipped in. So Giannis being the player that he is and doing what he needed to do was huge for Milwaukee. I mean, he came in and especially in game six, he just realized I don't need to shoot a three to dominate these guys. I can just go in get any bucket I want of the paint. And as long as I can try and hit some free throws, I'm going to get points. I'm going to continuously cause problems for this team. Blake Griffin, the sandbagging ass loser can't stop <laughs> Jeff green while he tries. I'm not going to slander Jeff green. Cause whatever Jeff green can't stay with Giannis. You know, Kevin Durant tried at times and Giannis just went past him multiple times. Like no one on that court could stop. And the only person that could stop Giannis was Giannis himself. So the fact that he limited that, especially as the series went on when Milwaukee needed him the most in game six and seven, he showed up and did what he needed. And yeah, I, I think this is a big series for him as well, just because you could easily have seen the narrative that maybe he's just not the guy. Maybe he's not the number one. I, I think we put that to bed after game six and seven. He still need, you know, it'd still be nice for him to get to the finals. It'd still be nice for him to get a ring, but at the very least, you can't look at Giannis and say he can't get the job done when he needs to. And we were we were experiencing that narrative in this series after game two. Like Mitchell wrote a really smart piece about it on Brew. I, a lot of us were sort of in agreement. Like maybe this guy is not the guy. And that, that is how the series goes. And, but he improved so much. And, it, and it's not just the – Finishing around the basket it was obviously the, the intelligent decision making only three turnovers in game seven, which was huge. But there was just so much talk about it's really interesting to me because there's just so much talk about what kind of player Giannis should be throughout the series. Right. It's 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 seemingly at the core of what he is. He was brought up to basically be kind of a lead guard. Essentially, he was brought up to handle the ball, make passes, play make for his teammates and we saw in the first couple games that was not really working to a great degree. He was getting into the – if he tried to get into the paint, he was spinning. He was turning it over. It, he just wasn't able to find any sort of rhythm. He wasn't making the smart reads that we saw from him at times this season. As the series went on, he found a lot more ways to be able to make intelligent decisions. He was doing a lot more work as a role man in terms of finishing. He was a lot better at that. He was able to make some really smart passes to his teammates. In game six, he had that – fake jumper that it looked like we were going to take, he was going to take. And it was, 
we were all wincing, and then he passed it out to Chris Middleton for a three. It was just really nice to see him improve as the series went on because we've said, we've seen it before in the playoffs, that Boston series, case in point, they they solved it, they solved him, quotes, for one game, and then he just found a counter and was able to beat them. And in this one, going seven games against the Brooklyn Nets where it seemed like they had him bottled up, really impressive for him to be able to find counters and pull through. I think, like you both said, just an incredible performance by him to put the team on his back, especially through the middle quarters where you just didn't have performances from Holiday or Middleton that you were expecting, and, and Giannis really kept him in it. It was like the the difference between game one, games one and two, and then the rest of the series were sort of like the difference between the Giannis of old and the Giannis that we saw in the 2020-2021 season, um, where in games... Game three was a rock fight, so we don't have to really talk about that. It's a miracle we won that one. But games five through seven especially, it was the same Giannis that we saw all year that instilled confidence of, if this is the Giannis we get in the playoffs, this is a whole different game we're going to be playing because, like you said, aggressive, um, his shot selection, the three-pointers, again, whatever. But game six, he doesn't take a single three-pointer, so he recognizes our back is against the wall. I'm Nobody's stopping me inside me. He keeps going for that. But then in game two, he's spamming the spin button over and over again, and they're stopping him. Game six and seven, he gets in the paint. He's bowling the hell out of Blake Griffin or whoever they throw at him. So then they start pulling doubles towards him. You can see guys are like KD's underneath the basket waiting to try and help out if Giannis makes a move. And Giannis, he continually makes decisions. Okay, the defense is drawing to me. I don't have to sprint full speed, but I can get moving. And then there's Brooke Lopez in the corner. There's PJ Tucker in the corner. Shout out to those guys for making the shots. But he get, got the guys involved at times when needed. Um, and, and he did all that even with aggression and not turning it over a bunch by getting charges called against him. I was a bit confused because the Nets were throwing their bodies all over the place in the first couple of games. And then they kind of stopped doing that. Seems like a stupid decision on their part, but you know, I guess Blake got tired of just throwing himself on the floor or whatever, but uh, they, the Nets put together a really solid defense given the personnel that they had and Giannis figured it out over time. Uh, and, and that's a credit to him. And I think the main question was, can Giannis continue to make dynamic decision-making on the go? He did it in the games that mattered most. Yeah, it was definitely funny looking at, there was one sequence, I don't know if it was in game five, but Giannis had the ball at the top of the key, and it was clear, like, they're going to let him shoot it. And you thought for a quick second, oh, no, he is actually going to shoot this three. Please do not do it. And then he decided to dribble in. Bryn Forbes came right around and handed it off to him, hit the three, and I was like, that right there. Uh-huh. That is something we have been asking him to do throughout this, not even this season, but last season. Just don't make the dumb decision. Don't waste possessions. Obviously, there was, I don't know if it was game three or game five. I don't know which game it was where he chucked up like eight threes. And I was like, okay, that was probably not ideal. But it was just like that decision making showed more growth this year than what we had seen from Giannis the past few years. Just the better decision making. You know, you would still run into guys. And I think the funny thing with Brooklyn was, I think they just stopped trying to draw charges, except for James Harden, because he's whatever. We'll, we'll get to him. But it feels as though Brooklyn stopped trying to hope that the refs will make a call and then decided to straight up play defense. And that's when Giannis was able to get more into a rhythm. I think with game two, it was like he was spinning all over the place. He was drawing fouls. He was drawing offensive fouls. He was going into two people at once. It was 
it was part of the reason why game two was such a collective mess from the tip off. But as especially in game six, you just saw that Giannis would be able to pick his moments. He would be able to get, you know, back down a guy and then go and throw up a little hook or something or kind of do a push shot. And other than, you know, besides that game five turnaround fadeaway and James Harden, he continuously saw the mismatches and went and attacked the guy. So it, it's good growth for Giannis. And I don't know how much of that was just him realizing that. Maybe someone got in his ears like, you, bro, just go to the room. Just keep attacking. The paint. They can't stop you. I don't know who I don't know what changed after game two and even game. Well, game three wasn't bad necessarily decision making wise. It was just. Like Riley said, a complete rock fight that was ugly to watch, but it's good. It's good to know that hopefully they take this and go into the next round, kind of like what we said after Miami. Like, okay, you did what you need to. You did your homework. You prepared for this. You won. Can you do it again against Brooklyn? And after game two, it was like, okay, you did that. Now, can you do it again? Depending on who you're playing, Philly or Atlanta, and can that hopefully then go into the finals? I thought not only his on-ball stuff, but we should also talk about his off-ball play on offense. Uh, We did a lot of small ball five in game six and seven in particular. Uh, Game seven, the second second half, fourth quarter especially, it was the Giannis and Chris show for a majority of it. And it was the Giannis and Chris show, not only that Giannis was doing a lot of scoring, but he was sending a lot of picks. Um, When Drew had the ball, he was getting called out there. And you could see the dynamism of Giannis is on a roll, literally and figuratively. Um, And... Brooklyn just can't commit one way or the other. And Chris, I mean, tough shot express for a lot of that fourth quarter, but part of it was he's able to isolate a defender and make a, you know, a quick turnaround jumper because the defense has to honor the fact that Giannis is there setting the pick and rolling alongside Chris. And that's just tough to stop. Um, so again, not only his own scoring, but freeing up other guys as well, making the passes or putting his body in a position to free up teammates. So it was just a, you know, masterclass from top to bottom from Giannis. And eight of 14, from the foul line. I mean, yep. it, it looked like we were in for an awful night. What did he start? One of five? Uh, he, got on, re- he made like five or six in a row, and I was like, okay. I think he ended the game like making six in a row. So it was like, yes, it started off terrible. Mm-hmm. I could be count. This could be totally wrong, but I did feel like eventually he figured out the counting thing as the rhythm, and it was able <laughs> to get him into his rhythm. I don't know if that's true or not. He did eventually hear ball one, but... The haters don't understand that their hate only fuels us. It makes us better. So people, and I was like, even I was getting rattled at home. I was like, oh man, they're counting. I mean, it's obviously they're counting 10 seconds in the space of five seconds, but I was like, oh, he's taking forever. So I got rattled too. So good to you, Giannis, as well, to stand up to that. Uh, You know, for sure, just keep working on the shot, I guess. Every single shot attempt is different, and I love it. It's like a, you know, it's a grab bag for Giannis free throw routines. It's honestly funny just because, I feel like if he just cuts down the dribble, like if he just stops doing like eight dribbles, then it would be fine. And I I think we all know at this point, it's probably mental, but yeah, hearing the counting probably helps because if it was dead silent, I think the pressure would have gotten to him more. If it was just like, I feel like if it was quiet, then it would have been like, wait, what the, what the hell is Mm -hmm. going on? Like, hold on. And then he would get in his head while with the count is like, okay, whatever. It's just fans making noise. It's no big deal. So yeah, maybe the counting was just some good old ambient white noise in the background for him mm-hmm. that's what he was falling asleep to during the series he was like he's like mariah i'm sorry but we have to play this and it's just the nets fans doing a 10 second count while he falls asleep that's yeah, you know Harden cries like a little bitch every time Giannis <laughs> was doing his free throw routine <laughs> um 
Wasn't there that story about how Mariah has to run laps when Giannis misses a free throw in practice or something? That's how he practices his free throws. So I, whatever. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, okay. That's, so that's, that's for the next podcast. Next podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's talk about Chris Middleton. 23 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 5 steals again for him. Not the best shooting night, 9 of 26. So certainly not his most efficient night. But it comes through in the clutch. He hits that last jumper that wins it in OT ultimately. Just in, you could just tell on that one. It's just a shot he's practiced a million, so so many times, and the footwork was just sublime and able to get so much room over Bruce Brown, who who played him pretty gamely all night. But Chris Middleton not the best night, but obviously came through in the clutch, and he did have that. And his game six will go down as as a fantastic one for all time for Bucks players. So they got just enough out of him in game seven, though. Riley and it, it seemed like his his clutch shot making was was always there when they needed it late. Yeah, he he had to have gone like seven of twelve from the floor in the second half. I mean, he was abysmal in the first half. It was not bad shots per se, but they just were not falling. Um, what has been the critique of Chris in the past? Uh, he disappears, disappears in that he just stops taking shots. He defers whatever the situation is, and in this game, um, game seven, game six, obviously. He did not disappear. He has a, a really abject first half, but given the way that Drew had been playing for multiple games, I think he realizes, like, I can't just let Drew try to do this because if we try to let him shoot him out of this, we're going to lose. And so it's not only taking the ball. It, the start of the fourth quarter, he just took the offense over the entire – he just kept hammering. He was – I was so impressed with the way he was physically throwing himself about on offense. You know, he would get the ball. He would push the pace. Bruce Brown would try and, you know, whatever, man guard him out of the perimeter. And, you know, Chris immediately throws a shoulder into him. And I'm like, where has this Chris Middleton been his entire career? Like the determination that you could feel for him to be like, we're not going out like this. And the timely shot making that three pointer, I think it was like five. Was it a five or six point game? Probably like five minutes left or so. And there's his like a super ugly play and Giannis somehow finds like gets, I don't know if it was Giannis, somebody like cross court passes it to a wide open Chris who hits that three. And that, I think it, it's small stuff like that, where you're on the edge. It might've been after that KD five, that four point play swing all the way around. And yet we're able to claw right back into it. It's like all of a sudden, again, it's just a two point game and you can keep maintaining contact. That's what it's all about. Um, I thought, Excellent from him in that second half alone to step up, to go against the grain of what he's done in the past and just continue to shoot, continue to throw himself around, continue to be be available. And a lot of it too was like in the past we've seen where Chris, he, he doesn't do like a ton of catch and shooting attempts. There were multiple times throughout the series where those are the most timely baskets. Giannis goes in, he finds Chris. Chris, instead of dribbling, even if there's a little bit of a defense nearby, he just goes and shoots right up. He's the best three-point shooter on the team. If he gets an opportunity that looks halfway decent, we're going to need him to take him, and he did it. So respect to you, Chris. And also, fourth quarter, overtime, P.J. Tucker fouls out on some BS, and it's like, okay, KD is the only guy who's doing anything for the Nets for the past 35 minutes. Chris has put his whole heart and soul onto the court, and he gets the call like, hey, you got to guard KD for a couple possessions here. And it wasn't perfect, but given everything, they all played like 48, 50 minutes, and he kept in the way. He maintained contact. He did not let KD get an easy shot. Um, you know, 
yeah, again, great from him, fourth quarter overtime. That's that's legacy defining. That's what it's all about. If we go on to win a title, and I don't want to jinx it, but if we have that kind of sort of success from here, we'll look back on game seven and say, hey, you know what, Chris and Giannis, they both stepped up when we needed and they saved the season and made this happen. Yeah, definitely, especially after game two, you know, if any, I think everyone was 100% out on Chris. And it wasn't just because, you know, the whole team, like <laughs> the whole team was bad, but Chris in particular was probably the worst offender in that game two blowout loss. And then it didn't really get that much better in game three. Game four, everyone played well. So I kind of, and then you get to game five, and it was again kind of a, this, like this core of Giannis, Chris, and Brooke probably is not going to be able to do it. And then that's where a lot of questions have to get raised. And then Chris comes out in game six, and that was one of the best performances in Bucks playoff. I think I, I think when Gabe asked in our chat, I said, if the Bucks end up winning the series, I'll put it ahead of Ray Allen's. But at the current moment, no. I, I think now we can say, yes, it was better than Ray Allen's game six because it was that that led to Milwaukee getting, getting game seven and winning game seven. And you kind of look, and that game six was, it was just an array of how Chris was getting his points. He was hitting threes. He was getting, you know, his you know, usual four point plays um, in that game. He was able to just isolate himself and get the turnaround jumpers. He was able to get to the rim every once in a while. So he was hitting free throws. It was a, when we needed Chris Middleton to step up and justify the contract, more or less, he did that in game six, game seven. He, I think two years ago, Chris Middleton, he's not taking any more shots after that last year. Chris Middleton maybe takes a few more, but probably not in the fourth quarter, maybe in the third quarter he would have. So to see him continue shooting out of it. And, you know, sometimes when you're not feeling it, and we'll talk about Drew Holiday, it, it's not necessarily to shoot your way out of it. It's just to continue taking the smart shots to help yourself. You know, taking the open looks, taking the in-rhythm shots that you've done all the time that normally go in. That's the kind of shots you need to keep doing. That's what he wasn't doing. But then you see in the fourth quarter, he gets... I think without his timely shot making, I don't think Milwaukee, Milwaukee's probably down 10-ish, getting to that final, the second half of the fourth quarter before Drew finally comes comes in and hits a couple shots. So th- this is what Chris Middleton needed. You know, I think last year's, what was game four? Last year's game four against Miami, I think that maybe just gave him this newfound confidence. Like, I can be this guy and I can do this. And I know I should do this because my teammates are relying on me to do it. We saw it against Miami in game one, especially. We saw it, you know, most of game four. We saw it in game six. We saw it in game seven. It's good to see Chris Middleton take this approach and kind of like the same with Giannis. Can you do that for the next round? Because you're probably going to be leaned on a little bit. Depending on the matchup, you will definitely need to be leaned on a lot more in the Eastern Conference Finals. At just as much, as the, in, if not more, than you did for this series against the Nets. Because at least now, you don't need to hit every shot to keep up with the Brooklyn Nets. But depending on who guards Giannis and everything, you might have to be the reason that the attention gets focused on you for the series. Yeah, and he, he won't be happy with his shooting splits this series. I mean, 40.8% overall field goal, 365 from three. Thankfully, that one is better than most of the Bucks players. But... <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, he won't be happy with those shooting splits. But he, at the very end, it's it's really what matters, right? So this whole series, we had so many different narratives. It was going up and down, you know, trade Chris for CJ McCollum, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then 
you know, he comes back and it, it's about how you respond. And he responded in game six. He responded in game seven, even if it wasn't pretty for the first half. And just a major credit to him. Um, I want to talk about Drew Holiday, but first I, I want to talk about Brooke Lopez first because Brooke Lopez, who had a season where lots of questions about how he would fit in if the Bucks are doing more switching, how is he going to you know fit within this scheme if he's a traditional zone drop center? Well, he came up with two insane blocks on Kevin, several insane blocks on Kevin Durant. The one with one minute left was absolutely insane where he came back to recover. In the earlier in the fourth quarter, there's one where KD drives baseline and is going to get a straight up dunk, and Brook Lopez basically blocks him at the rim and prevents him from doing it. Scores 19 points, hits three of four from three, so he comes through. It has like a very similar stat line to what he had in game one. I think it's just major credit to this guy for showing up, showing out five offensive rebounds. The interesting thing to me about him is I actually thought he had a pretty good even though the Bucks lost, like I, I kind of liked that he was, he had like 19 points in game one. I thought they were using him pretty well. And I felt like the loss and then the loss in game two kind of shook him up and they felt like, okay, we can't really use Brooke inside. We can't have him mm-hmm. doing any of that kind of stuff. And obviously he did a lot of damage from outside in this game, but I, I am glad that they kind of figured out, okay, well maybe we need to go back to at least a little more Brooke inside getting offensive rebounds, pounding the glass, because that did technically work for us, even though we lost and I'm just really happy for this guy who has just put in a lot of work for this Bucks team. And Kyle, it really paid off in this one with timely blocks and some some clutch shots, especially in the first half. Our biggest concern, I think one of our biggest concerns on the Milwaukee side going into the series is will Brooke Lopez get played off the floor? Especially if Brooklyn decides to go a little bit smaller, which they did pretty much the whole series. DeAndre Jordan didn't even see the court. So then it was kind of a... Is he going to get played off the floor? I'm a little bit worried. Like, yes, his room protection is huge, but that's not going to matter when KD and Harden and Kyrie are able to just ISO and get their own shots. And then Joe Harris is floating around the three-point line. Like, it was kind of a, how much is he going to help you defensively? Because you might have to run more switching style defense. And he was, it was his blocks that were huge. I think game one, yeah, him going inside, it was probably one of the few bright spots from game one, like him and Giannis getting continuous points in the paint and everyone's, and it kind of made everyone like, why didn't we just keep doing this in the second half of game one? You could have possibly won that game, but I, I think it just shows that even though he has his limitations, when things go well, like there are times where you just have to keep him on the court because he's still providing a threat, like even... You, he might not block the shot, but he's still going to contest it enough. He might not be in the right position, but he can. He might be able to recover enough to get a timely block. He probably was one of the biggest reasons in overtime Milwaukee was able to even stay in it despite all of the bricks that Brooklyn was throwing up because Brook was still around. Brook was still posing a threat, and especially when P.J. Tucker goes out, it's like, well, you have to – you either go Giannis at the five and you bring in Pat Connaughton or you just – Maybe you roll with Brooke or you don't bring in Brent Ford. It's just like, I think there's a reason why Bobby Portis didn't play much at the tail end of the series. And I think it was just more because PJ Tucker was still doing enough of a job, doing a great enough job at Kevin Durant that you have to keep him in. Bud decided to go with the shorter rotation. But then Brooke being, still being effective, I think played a big part. If Brooke was getting played off the floor, I mean, we saw, and I think it was game three or four, Bobby Portis played really, really well. And the fact that he didn't see the court the rest of the series, I think, was more explaining how good Brooke was as that big. 
and I'm happy for him. I, I mean, there were definitely questions raised on, do we have to trade Brook? Do we still like, do we, and I think those questions are still going to be there, but he probably was the, in my opinion, the unsung hero of the series because I didn't think he was going to be able to be there, at least in the clutch. I didn't think in clutch moments he could have been on the court and he proved me wrong. And he was huge with the blocks, huge with contesting shots and just being Brooke Lopez. Not only did he have a couple of insane blocks, he had an insane inbounds play that almost cost us the whole goddamn uh, season. You know, so, I was uh, not going to I, I was yeah, yeah, this. He has to say it, man. Come on. Well, <laughs> we were, I figured we were talk about Budenholzer later, and maybe we were going to talk about that, and that was going to be one of the things I mentioned was, I don't know how that was the goddamn play you come up with after a timeout, but go on. <laughs> So, well, somebody suggested that yeah, Brooke was supposed to get it and then just pass inside to Giannis. I, I thought for a second that Budenholzer, we ran the Chris play all season. He's like, all right, we're going to do that. But Brooke, you're going to be Chris instead. I was like, are we insane? Yes, <laughs> and we were, yes, we, 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 we are insane. Um, well, when he no, said it I, didn't work, he was like, let's actually, let's run that play for Chris. Never mind. Let's, <laughs> and then the beautiful thing was Brooke executed the Chris play as if he was Chris. So he gets it. And then like, instead of shooting, he like turns around and just wastes time i was like no and then we are just barely saved by katie's feet being on the line so it was a close run thing even given all the good things that brooke did almost totally invalidated the end but um to all your guys's points i I think interesting that we uh continued to position him on the perimeter on offense uh we never went into as like okay brooke go post up whoever but in it felt like in years past or series past or games past we would somebody would get a shot up, either Giannis or Chris or whoever from the perimeter, wherever they are. And Brooke would not make an attempt to go inside. It was kind of like a whatever the shot is, if it goes in, great. If Giannis is there, it gets it great. Otherwise, just back off and establish the defense. A lot of it was you could see so many times uh, Milwaukee offensive possessions. If shot goes up, Brooke is the guy who's underneath, and maybe he's not getting excellent positioning, but his body is there. He's flying around. He's making it difficult for the Nets. They can't just like you know let it fall into their lap like a punt. He's forcing them. And then also, because we don't have a single person on the roster, I mean nobody who can do an entry pass, what's the easiest way to get Brooke Lopez in the paint? He just gets an offensive rebound and then he's literally seven feet tall and 300 pounds or whatever. And he just goes right back up through like, you know, 200 pound KD, whoever it happens to be. And so he gets a lot of his points that way. I'm fine with that. I'm, I don't need to see Brooke do his, you know, two mile an hour uh, drive from the perimeter and then like kind of like uh, <laughs> up the basket. I'm cool with him. Just it, once the shot goes up, make your way into the paint. If you get the ball, great. Just go right back up with it or kick it out if you want to. So I, I thought good on him. The three-point shooting, thank God it was there because it felt like at times it's like, is it there? Is it not? Do we really want the seven-foot guy continue to take threes? Um, instead, he goes inside, gets a lot of his points there. Good job, Brooke Lopez. Uh, yeah. And thank God this season <laughs> didn't end because you messed up that final possession. Okay. All right, let's... If, that, if that had ended because of that, oh, man. <laughs> that would have been Too terrible. boxy. Too oh, boxy. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Drew Holiday. Uh, we, we've been delaying it. I haven't really... This, no. guy, this guy is so lucky. Well, he's not lucky because he's on Instagram. He's lucky we won because I would have been that guy on the Instagram comments. He'd be posting wholesome pictures of his family, and I would have been the first one saying, bum. I can't believe this guy almost swindled us like this. 
how can this happen? How can we give this guy a bajillion dollars and then he turns into Eric Bledsoe? How, how does this happen? I'm so confused. I, it must be something in the water. Uh, credit to him for thing. He made those shots at the end of the game. And then the final possession, who how dare he say, I got this. He waved Giannis and Chris off. He was awful all game. He makes two shots. He's like, I'm going to win the season. No, you don't get to win the season. Chris wins the season. And I mean, you know, they should have called Blake Griffin for a foul there. It's lucky that it like didn't go off his knee and then it turns over. The insanity some could say it's like you have to be confident you're an NBA player. I just say you're insane and you are a bad teammate for saying I got this after all of that. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Drew Holiday, but it was a disaster of a series. It, I, you know, it was a disaster. It, it, amazing that we survived the fact that we had Eric Bledsoe out there again. And to be fair, Eric Bledsoe would not have probably made those couple of shots in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, to break out of it and still have the confidence to take the shot. But I'm not going to let that erase everything else that happened before that, because there was a lot that happened before that. I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Was there any redeeming qualities? You guys can do redeeming qualities. Oh, I your holiday from this he series. hit the game winner in game three. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like that was kind of a, this was in terms of Drew Holiday, and what I expected on Drew Holiday, it was not to this extent. But I was like, when Milwaukee needed someone to do it, Drew Holiday did it. He made the uh-huh. game when he shot in game three. He gets those buckets in game seven. He locks up KD on the final possession when he airballs the yep. three. It's like, yep. Yep. This, this is exactly why you make the trade. Because maybe those incremental measures are going to be enough. And yes, he still tried to Eric Bledsoe his way out of the series. <laughs> like it was bad. Like game five was bad. Game seven was bad. Every time he t- threw up a shot, I was like, please stop doing that. Like get in the paint. You are stronger uh-huh. than 90% of the players on this court. Get your ass in the paint and bully some people. Damn it. Look at this team. Look at the opponent. Like you can bully all of them. Like they are not like all of them. You can bully them with no problem. Katie's going to probably come back and hit a dag in your face. But you know what? Everyone else, Blake Griffin is a little bitch. Go bully him. James Harden is a little bitch. Go bully him. Bruce Brown. Okay, Bruce Brown's not a bull, like not a little bitch. He's whatever. But still, come on. The other guys, you you can do that. So good on Drew Holiday for hitting those shots because I was – every time he took a jump shot, I was swearing in my car. I mean, like when Ted Davis would say Drew Holiday jumper, I was like – God, I was, yeah, it was a lot of swearing in the car on the drive back. But like I said, this is why you make the trade. It's a very reckless trade, obviously. Reckless trade to get someone that hits a game when he shot and locks down KD on the final possession to seal the win. But if this is, hopefully we got that out of the way. Get your crap series out. <laughs> play better in the next round. Even if it's just make smarter shot decisions, I would be fine. If you just, if every three you're making is a miss. If you're going to miss a wide open three, fine, whatever. If you're going to dribble and take a step back with James Harden on one leg, is Garnier? No, don't do that shit. He, uh, I have it here. He was in game six and seven, season on the line. We need all three of our guys to show up. Drew goes for 13 of 44 from the floor, three and 19 from three. Hey, man, you got to stop shooting at some point. You know, I know you're trying to get yourself in a rhythm. You got to stop with the threes at some point. But, and also that final possession, it, it, the whole Drew Holiday, 
all year we're talking, oh, he can guard sort of like all five positions. And to an extent he can. In this series, there were times where PJ goes out and we're like, Drew, can you handle KD for a couple possessions? It was a disaster. Every single time Drew got the call in most of the games. And then the final position in overtime, the game is in flow. I think Drew called his own number again. I think he waved Chris off and he was like, I got this. I was like, I can't believe the season's going to end on this. Drew calls his own number. He's been killed by KD all year and he stands tall. I'm not sure I would say he redeemed himself, but that went a long way. I was like, I don't know. That's probably the most important defensive stop in in like decades for it this franchise. It was the same thing as game one against Miami where it's like you have the audacity to be in this dude's grill in the final <laughs> shot. Like I think Bucks have passed. Maybe that would have been a foul. That would have been a foul and Bucks have passed, but not this year. I don't know what it is. Maybe if they play Atlanta, he'll do the same thing to Trey Young or Bogdan. And it'll be the same thing. It's like you have the audacity to try and defend him like this, especially with how the referee was. That takes some balls. Mm-hmm. Hmm, Drew Holiday. I, I mean, look, I don't want to say that when he hit that three-pointer in the fourth quarter where he was wide open, I stood up and said, you play like dog shit for six games in four or five minutes and then hit that shot. But, I mean, that was – here, I'm going to give a, a few redeeming things because he played terrible. He played terribly, but I also want to remind people he, he shot 36% for the series, 26% from three – 12, 12 of 46. He only took six less three-pointers than Chris Middleton, which is which is awful. But, 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 I would like to remind people that in the Toronto series, Eric Bledsoe shot 29.4% from the field, 17.2% from three. So, lest, lest we forget, with only 4.2 assists per game, dude wasn't even dishing the ball, okay? So, lest mm-hmm. we forget, it was at least an upgrade. He isn't Eric Bledsoe. And, and, and I just want to defend the guy a little bit. It does not erase the horrific parts of the game in the beginning, but he hits that. So, okay, I I, I watched the last, like, six minutes this morning. Okay, Bucks go down after – we all think it's over after the Durant gets the end one, basically, right? It's 540 left, 96-91. What could have been – could have tied the game instead it turns into a five-point swing, basically. Holiday finally hits that three where you lose your mind – uh, it's wide open. Uh, Chris Middleton penetration. Holiday hits the three, so they're down by two. And then, okay, Holiday has a ton of different plays where he actually creates offense too. He drives and kicks to Middleton for that big three when the Bucks are down one hundred one ninety six. After that awful James Harden bounce in uh, off the backboard three pointer. So at mm-hmm. that point, that was another point where I was like, okay, oh, well, yeah, we're going to yeah, lose yeah, this yeah. game. We're going to lose this game. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Holiday drives, gets the three from Middleton. Holiday does side pick and roll with Giannis, and they were basically spamming that down the stretch. Pocket pass to Giannis. Giannis goes up for the end one, helps us get back the lead. Then he does the most crazy thing I've ever seen (laughs) from a player. Does the step back three over Joe Harris, Mm -hmm. and he hits it, and he just loses his mind. I mean, are you kidding me? If there's anything that signifies how bad Joe Harris was in this series, (laughs) that is right there. Only could not hit a shot. A guy a Joe Harris powered. Insane. <laughs> and then and then because they were running the side pick and roll with Giannis, James Harden is totally screwed up. And then Holiday is able to get a totally open baseline jumper, which you definitely don't want him taking, but he hits it, so whatever. <laughs> and then he drives in and gets fouled and goes to the free throw line. Only hits one of two because of course it's true holiday. But but he was integral to their ability to 
send it into OT. So he was awful, awful, awful mm-hmm, for this mm-hmm. entire series, but he was big down the stretch. His best it's not, game. His best game was game two, where he was six of ten from the field <laughs> and one of two from three. And uh, we all know how game two was, and that was his best game. It's not how you start; it's how you finish. And you know what? He did play. He played big in the final couple of minutes. It's true. It's true. I mean, the whole the whole idea, the whole hope was uh, Drew has been god awful, and then years past, he's like Eric is just he's not going to play. We're going to put George Hill out there. And you just, we don't have that luxury. We essentially did a six-man, whatever, a six-man rotation. So it's like, we don't have that luxury. Drew is either going to figure it out or we're going to just, we're going to die because of Drew. And he figured it out. So, you know, to to a certain extent, there is a skill to that. There is a skill to, um, you have to withstand the total shot confidence, like shot to his confidence um, to still come back again insane for the final possession for him to wave dudes off. I, we'd, I would have a talk with him after the game about that. But you have to have some irrational confidence. And he up in those couple of minutes, as you said, he was in a flow, finally, finally in a flow. Uh, and he goes a long way. And again, he gets that final stop. He, he bodies KD up enough to prevent KD from getting a clean shot up. You know, I mean, that's that's all that matters, I guess. We're going to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's, it, all sins are forgiven. The question is... How does he respond? Because in years past, the only the only other guy we have is Eric Bledsoe to go off of for recent <laughs> history. Eric Eric would be like awful to like barely passable in a series. He'd be like, okay, we survived that series. Hopefully, Eric can put it together in the next series. the The question is, is Drew able to break out of the funk? Because he's had two games where he was just, I mean, horrendous. Is he able to buck the trend of years past and then start to get back online? Is he able to make better decisions? Um, things like that. That's my question heading forward. Thank God he showed up in the last three minutes. Uh, can you do that in entire games heading forward? Uh, nothing. I think no- <laughs> nothing is more Milwaukee Bucks ask than you make this big trade. You you had a disaster. You get rid of the disaster. You bring in an upgrade, and ninety percent of the season. He is looking like it, and everything was right. I was like, okay, they made the right decision. And then he goes right back to being a disaster. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, he was – and it wasn't, like, just a small sample size of Drew Holiday play well. Like, he was good the whole regular season. He was great in the Miami series. He was Mm -hmm. fine in game one. Like, he wasn't great, but he was at least fine. Like, he was Mm -hmm. 7-19 for the field. You can't be too upset about that. And then it just went downhill, went right back to being a disaster. I was like, yep. The, this would be the Milwaukee Bucks. You you finally did the smart thing. Make the upgrade. The upgrade looks good, and your upgrade actually was just a scam, and your wheels are falling apart. You you got you got cheap tires, is what I was thinking. Like you upgraded your tires, you got the name brand, and they just are just worse than any offshoot <laughs> freaking bootleg version of it. God, that was frustrating. But they won and they survived. Uh-huh. Yeah, winning cures all. Speaking of midseason or season upgrades, PJ Tucker, take a bow, man. I had no idea this guy had this in him. We KD was a master. He's an amazing shot maker. Respect to him. The fact that PJ at is he 35, 34, 35? I know he was slumming in Houston, but I, I think there was an open question where you you're a guy whose whole thing is I'm the active defense, like small ball guy, small ball center guy. 
that's a hard road to hoe the further you go into your NBA career. And he stepped up to the challenge in the biggest, the way he was defending KD, it was amazing to watch. Somebody, I think I tweeted out about, I was like, I didn't think PJ had this. I'm an idiot. And somebody was like, PJ's, we found out he's like a tank. I'm like, he's a tank who also can move side to side at a hundred miles an hour. He's like, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. And some huge corner threes in game seven. I mean, some great like cuts, some putbacks, way more than I ever could have guessed. I think this series swings almost completely on that mid mid season acquisition. DJ Wilson died so the Bucks could live. Salute to, <laughs> salute to you, DJ Wilson, DJ Augustine, for your service and for allowing us to bring in PJ and for coming to the Eastern Conference Finals because of it. That what a way to you know for the season to work out. That's amazing. It, the fact that that is what got PJ Tucker makes it even funnier. It's like you get rid of a dude that's probably not going to be in the G League next year, a dude who came in like, okay, this is what we needed, and he was just a bum and then he had a bad contract <laughs> and you get rid of that and okay we'll just throw in a first round pick and move down like eight spots and at this point mm-hmm. maybe one spot in this draft yeah for pj tucker it's like how did how did john horse get away with this like john horse absolutely effed up with the dh augusty contract and he somehow made it a better situation <laughs> he I don't he get learned it from the best he learned from john hammond <laughs> the, the ability to keep rolling your mess forward and just like we're gonna keep going just keep going just keep going stay alive that's what john horse whole uh premises and he stayed alive in a big way especially with pj tucker john horse saved his job <laughs> mm-hmm. it, and it, there's just so much built-in attention with the mid-season acquisition after getting burned so badly the last two years the, the miritich one wound up being an absolute disaster that one was really tough joe harris was Mark- looking like nicola miritich the, in the series oh, oh yeah that is true <laughs> that is true gosh and then marvin was obviously a buyout and he was fine marvin was fine i, I don't want he to was, he was the best he hoped for yes, he did yeah. retire mid-game but he was the best he, <laughs> <hope for. laughs> he was the best he could hope for from a mid-season buyout guy but tucker uh, just just incredible and so so clearly and it's so dumb but just was brought in a tangible that this team has just straight up not had and none of their yep. core players have it drew maybe has a little but little bit of it because somehow he takes a step back three late in the game and he definitely shouldn't but but just just seeing that guy play it's so floofy but it's just so much fun to watch him go out and go at kd for all of these games it, it was it was incredible especially given how kd looked pretty I mean, the amount of scoring KD did in this series was incredible. I, I liked KD. I didn't like him when he went to Golden State that much. But like watching him this whole series, he is so terrifying to play against. Anytime he shot the ball, I just presumed it would go in. And it was torture for this entire series. Oh, God. So cr- salute to P.J. Tucker for doing what he did. Maybe this is why we should stop trying to overhype buyout guys because buyout guys ain't shit. But midseason <laughs> acquisitions, yeah. they might work out. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, um, I, I just it, it it's hard to quantify the like you said the intangible aspect. I, I think back on this whole Budenholzer. Boone, Mike Budenholzer does not get in refs' faces. Not really. He did, he's not like the passion guy. Which is fine. That's like just who he is. We have to stop expecting after every game. Be like, if Boonholzer doesn't go out and get fined two million dollars oh, on that, like two years ago, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so people who kept going forward with that dream, 
but to bring in PJ, I think, uh, you know, and everybody can find your We Dogs t-shirt at uh, brewhoop.com slash whatever that post <laughs> Tweet was. Tweet out the link. <laughs> Tweet out the link. That'll be in the show notes. But um, the, 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 like, culture aspects, um, Giannis is a, an intense guy, but he's not really like the, uh, I'm going to choke my teammates if they don't play well, or I'll actually just choke the opponents because I'm that intense. Uh, Chris, clearly not that guy. Drew, he's kind of low-key. He's intense, but he's also sort of low-key. To finally have someone who's like really intense, go out there, get it. Every single foul call, he looked so... And he should have been aggrieved because they were calling him on some BS for a lot of those fouls. But he looked so... He would like... The speed, he would run away from the ref after every BS call. I was, And he would just be like stomping around, so angry, fighting every single call. Um... You know, it, it was a beauty that Thanasis did all that, but Thanasis is not an NBA player. To have an NBA player who's on the court and is doing all that after the games, he's getting the media availability. He's talking so much about, like, you know, this is our culture. We play hard defense. We're just out here having fun, all these things. What a, what a fun acquisition. It's great to trade for somebody It's like, hey, it actually worked. It's, it so rarely happens, it feels like, in the NBA, especially for like a midseason acquisition. You know, it, it's almost akin to the Raptors when they traded for Marcus Gasol. And Marcus Gasol was a lot more productive offensively, things like that. But the defense and then the intangible culture shift that PJ brings in, plus a little bit of the offensive stuff, it, it feels very in a very similar vein to that for Milwaukee. And it's, it's a joy to watch. Yeah, it's... It is huge. I don't think without PJ talking, Milwaukee wins the series. Without no, him, this, not at but all. this is exactly why you got him for this yeah. exact series. Like you got him for this. Maybe you'll need him if you play, you know, the Clippers or the Suns. I, maybe you can try it against Atlanta. Prop. I don't know how it's going to work with like Atlanta and Philly. Like I don't know where he's going to fit in there. Like he still deserves to play. Like you can't not play him after the series. Maybe don't play him like. 30 plus minutes again like maybe give him give him give him like one and two give him a breather for a bit let him get his legs back he's still 35 years old like he's mm-hmm. he might not have the legs but he uh, without him this series probably ends in five because of just i mean no one i mean kevin durant is kevin durant you can do as much as you can but the fact that it then doesn't require Drew Holiday to guard him, it doesn't require Chris to guard him, it doesn't require Giannis to guard him, you can let those three just do their own thing. I don't know. Because that was the thing against Toronto. Like, Chris had to guard Kawhi, and it completely took him out of the series. Now you at least had a guy that you can just let him do it. You can try with the Nasus. The Nasus is there for the final 20 seconds to cause a bunch of chaos, and it works 90% of the time, and I don't understand how. <laughs> Both PJ Tucker, it's like a controlled chaos, and he, it's just a constant reminder for the other team. Like he is still there. Like you can't, you're not going to get rid of him. The only way you can get rid of him is, is some bullshit foul calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the whole thing for the Nets, there would probably be some questions in the aftermath of this for Steve Nash. I know he's a rookie head coach, and when you get to a series like this where literally both teams are playing like five dudes, and KD's playing how he is, it's so easy to just be like, KD, just keep taking it. But for large stretches of the second halves of both Game 6 and Game 7, I mean, it it was just get the ball to KD, everybody clear out. And so the whole season falls on P.J. Tucker on can you at least adjust the shot? Can you make him adjust? Can you make it a little bit tougher for KD? And that's a lot of responsibility for a dude who arrives in the middle of the season, is on the back end of his career, to step up and say, 
the entire offense is coming through my single assignment, and we're not going to be able to really throw doubles because KD does pass when he starts drawing a little bit. Um, yeah, respect, man. That's an amazing performance from him, and he's a big reason why we're going to the fi- or Eastern Conference Finals. Absolutely. He also does some of the BS stuff that the Nets would do. Like no yeah. one on the Bucks roster is just going to do that. It's I, I get it. I'm I, there's a lot of honor in it, but I appreciate that Tucker's like, nah, I'm just going to like get screened and fall to the ground like someone just just punch <laughs> me with the hammer. So credit to that guy. Yeah. <clears throat> Basically, last guy who played today was Pat Connaughton, who I would proved like us to- wrong. I want to salute you too, Pat. You proved me wrong. I can't believe it. <laughs> Looks- I- Salute to Pat, okay? Nine <laughs> points, he, highest plus minus on the team. I know. But <laughs> has, has three, like, three huge threes. Dude, dude was 30 feet out. Didn't care. He pulled up, went three five from three in this game. And major credit to him for getting roasted, absolutely roasted by KD in game five. They switch up their coverage for the most part where he has to show hard on KD, hard, and then recover back. Thankfully, Joe Harris couldn't hit anything today. But... Major credit to content for being able to show hard on some of those defensive coverages, recover back, and still get a really good contest. I mean, with he he was Bud's most trusted guy off the bench, the only guy that I would have trusted to play at all, and and mm-hmm. he, he proved it. So credit to Pat for that one. You know, at the beginning of the season, I said this was one of the worst contracts ever. I was not I was not on the Pat to bandwagon, and even when his hot start started, I was like, "There's no way this man's going to continue to play this well." Throughout the season. And he had a little bit of a dip. And it happened. But you know what, Pat? You, I apologize. You, even even if you have a disaster class next round. You, uh, don't say that. Don't say that. It's someone's really going to have it. Someone's going to have it. I'm just hoping it's Pat Connett, not Drew Holiday again. But, you know, I apologize because, I mean, I still don't love the contract. But at least you played semi to the contract to the point where I can't be too mad if you're on the court. You deserve some minutes on the court, maybe 10 to 15 minutes, but you do deserve to be on the court. You hit timely through like game six and seven. You played very, very well. And I am very happy about that. I'm glad to be proven wrong on Pat Connaughton. Good job on him. You know what? Just stop trying to, you know, be a scummy little landlord and we're good. Yeah. That's unfortunately, that's a big part of <laughs> his off court thing. But you're a scummy landlord that at least can be somewhat useful <laughs> on the court. Check out the three pointers. And you know what? That's what American society is all about. If you hit a couple threes, you're good to go in our book. This is capitalism, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Still, so like, again, the sequence of the, it feels like every year we have some sort of sequence of handing out contracts where it's like, oh my God, I can't believe we paid this guy and now we're going to be awful. Um, had you, I definitely did not predict Pat paying, playing plus minutes in a series against the Nets with the season on the line. So, you know, had you told me that, I probably would have had a different feeling at the start of the season. Um, it, it, it t- not tough for him, but I like the expectations or at least the role that he was going to confer. I think it was 23 minutes he played in game seven, right? Or last night. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in a series where Dante go, or like with Dante, he goes down. Okay. And Bryn cannot get free at all. They put Bryn, the Nets put Bryn in prison and there was just no getting out of that for him. Um, And so off the bench, our only other guard-ish guy that size who can give us a little bit, a couple minutes was going to be Pat. And he played well. And ultimately that forgives all sins of everything else in the past contract and otherwise. Um, We'll see. I, I think it'll be interesting resetting against either the Sixers or the Hawks to see how the bench gets shuffled around a little bit, but 
in a couple of games here where Mike Budenholzer says, I'm playing literally six dudes and Pat, you're one of them. That's a lot of pressure to be the sixth guy, like to be out there for a couple minutes and not be a, a failure. He, he answered to it. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that if that's what, you, you know, you pay for, great. That's, I, I'm happy we got that out of him. Let's talk about Bud. Got a lot. It seemed, it seemed, you know, he got a lot of flack. He's gotten a lot of flack. As he series. should. <laughs> As, okay. So go ahead. Speak on it, Kyle. Look, Budenholzer for game one and game two was probably the biggest reason Milwaukee lost. Well, okay, maybe not game two because everyone was terrible. But game one, he was the reason why Milwaukee <laughs> lost. Game three, they won in spite of Budenholzer. Game four, everyone played well. Great. Game five, they lost because of Budenholzer. Like, it was every time the Bucks lost, I can continuously look at Budenholzer like, you are probably not the – you might not be reason number one, but you were at least two or three. And – at the very least, he shortened the rotation. He really shortened the rotation, and he finally decided, I'm going to play these guys a lot of minutes. And it showed at the end, like during Game 7, how gassed Giannis was. Like, okay, maybe he probably should have played more earlier, but it was as frustrating of a series. It's like all of a sudden, he's like the he is like the significant other where they are just continuously letting you down over it. And like, you're going to break up with them. You are ready. You are packing your bag. You got the whole speech in your head. You, you, got, you got the next, the next girlfriend's already made. Miss <laughs> Rick is down and she's ready to go. <laughs> ready to go. You are ready to rebound. And as soon as you're about to go in and have that talk, Budenholzer does something nice. And it's like, okay, maybe I'll stick with this guy for a little bit. Like, that was Mike Budenholzer. He saw all the rumors. I swear he saw the rumors of Rick Carlisle. I was like, oh, I should do my job a lot better. And he did. And good on him. But god damn it. This is this is not keep this is not get him off the hook. Like if Milwaukee does not win a title, he probably still needs to go. But at the very least, all the adjustments that we were asking, all the things that we were asking him to do better. He's slow. He's still showing it, not at probably at the necessary level that is needed to win, but he is showing it. But man, he really is that girlfriend, that, like that significant other, like girlfriend or boyfriend that is complete, like just clearly slumming it, clearly holding you back from aspiring to be greater things. And you got to break up with them. But then they do that one nice thing. They do that. They bring you some flowers. They make your favorite meal. They clean the house. They just stay out of your way. They do something good. And you're like, well, Maybe okay. He's still a good guy. Like we mm. should, I should stay with him. And then he's gonna do some dumb shit next week. <laughs> he uh, last night in the press conference, he looked like a man who had just beaten like uh, you know like a life consuming disease, and he was like, "I can't believe I'm still alive." That was kind of <laughs> like the look on his face. And I'm sure he can't believe he survived either. I can't believe he survived. I can't believe the book survived. I, I think. Uh, it took him, it didn't take him as long to go heavy minutes for the starters, which was, okay, that's step number one adjustment. Just play your guys more minutes. And he did that, uh, especially like in games five, six, and seven. I think it was like a seven-man rotation with Bryn Forbes got 10 minutes in game five. Game six and seven, it's a six-man rotation. That's all we're rolling with. Good adjustment. The one thing that I think was most frustrating, and, and it's where it becomes a little foggy of, is it Budenholzer's fault or is it the player's fault? The offense got so gummed up at so many times where um, it's just, it's Giannis, Chris, Drew, all of them taking dumb shots or like there's no passing. It's a single pass. Somebody dribbles a little bit, takes a dumb elbow shot or whatever, totally out of rhythm. And it's stuff like that where it's like you either need to call a timeout or when there is a break and play, 
have something, do something. You need to get through to these guys that we have great success if you just pass the ball and people move around a little bit. And the worst, the, the most abject times of this series were when it's literally how many times throughout these past couple of years? Oh, Milwaukee's offense sucks because everybody's just standing around watching Giannis spin around in the paint. It's like, yeah, we, we do that a lot, like like a lot, a lot. And Giannis is just out there, or not Giannis, uh, Boonholz is out there just vibing. He's just letting dudes whatever. You can't do that when it's just, it's not working. And again, maybe that's the player's fault. Maybe that's, he's telling them that and they're not owning up to it. But part of being a coach is getting through to them one way or the other. No, you can't just pull Giannis because he took a three because he's Giannis. But there has to be a way either in the season previous or right now that you get through to them and say, you have to do better shot selection. And maybe he did in game six and it paid off in a big way and Giannis plays the exact right way. Um, There's still questions I, there's no way, no way that Budenholz's job is at all safe going into this. I mean, we got out by the skin of our teeth, uh, but we got out by the skin of our teeth, and that's more than I can say for previous playoffs runs under Budenholzer. So, so far, the show goes on. Yeah, you got to at least have – and you know what? You can definitely sit Giannis down for like a quick second and be like, no, don't shoot threes. What the hell are you doing? Get your ass in the paint. At some point in Game Five, he should have talked to Game Five and Game Six. He should have talked to Drew Holiday and been like, "Look, I need you to stop shooting. I, I need you to stop doing this." It didn't work because it Game Seven happened. But at some mm-hmm. point, you have to be the coach and say, "You need to stop doing this. You're killing our offense." You, if you're gonna, if anyone's going to take a bunch of tough shots and be gunking up this offense, it's Chris. Let mm-hmm. him be the one that does it. No one else on this team should be the one gunking up this offense. Like at some point, you are still the coach. You are still making those decisions. Even if the players might in their own head make the dumb decision, you still have to try and reverse course and tell them to stop making those dumb decisions. I I do want to give him credit in game seven. Um, The, like Kyle said, the need to give these guys just a couple of breathers. I thought it's really nerve wracking when Giannis goes out only five minutes into the game. I'm like, is he gassed or whatever? I mean, the ability of Boonholzer to say, these are my six guys. And to just play the timeout game or like going into breaks and say, let's get Giannis out, Thanasis. <laughs> You're going to play in game seven of the Eastern, or the Eastern Conference semifinals with our season on the line. Go play for 20 seconds. Give your brother the equivalent of like, whatever, like five minutes of real time rest. Um, it, Steve Nash did not play that game all that much. It was pretty much all KD, just go out there and do it. And to be fair, I'm sure KD just called for like, just don't take me out. Um, but Boonholzer to get through to Giannis and say, we're going to spell you a couple minutes here or there. Um, not all that much, but we're going to try and get you as much real-time rest as possible. That's a dangerous game to play, and he ended up winning the bet at the end. Uh, he, the Bucks came through. Uh, everybody was gassed, but we were just a little bit less gassed to get it over the line, and that does add up. That is meaningful. Yeah, he did. He definitely did a good job throughout Game Seven of wait, like taking Giannis out, knowing there's going to be a timeout, or knowing there's going to be enough of a break for him to get a breather. Like he did very well, and I think a lot of that is he finally was like, "I'm going with these six guys," and I don't know for the next round how if that's going to stay. Maybe he goes back to a seven rotation, which is also fine. Seven or eight is probably your max, but as long as he knows he's doing that and he can plan on trying to get the rest for his players in between those. I have no problem with that. 
his his timing and calling timeouts throughout the couple of games were very good as well. There were a couple of times the the Nets they never get, they start getting a little bit on a roll. Budenholzer was very quick to call the timeout. Or like in game seven, Giannis goes above the break. He's gonna take a three. Budenholzer is like, take a timeout. <laughs> he like he yeah. saved us from that. That was that was a masterful timeout calling. So credit there. That's again in when it becomes a one game chess match, every little move like that matters. And Budenholzer made the right moves when it mattered most in game seven. I just need him to do this from games one. Two and three. It should not take game six when your back is against the wall and you're going to get fired if you lose. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. game seven, where your back's against the wall, you're going to get fired if you lose for you to finally realize, oh, I should do It's just like Toronto when he was like, I got to stop playing Nikola Mirotic. I got to stop doing all these things that wasn't working. And it was game six and they're already down like 10 points in the fourth quarter by the time you realize. It was like, God damn it. So yeah, do that from game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Don't wait until you might get eliminated. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not going to carry water for Budenholzer or anything. But I mean, one thing I will say is, like, let, we can give him a little credit for the Bucks' defense being really, really, really good. It's been really good since Bud got there. It yes. held the Nets, who eat. Yes, they were missing some of their stars and whatever, but they still have probably the best player on earth right now uh, as the fulcrum of their offense, which is pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good when you have that. It makes it easier for other players and. They held them to near league worst levels of offense through much of this series. Like, there's a reason that a lot of the national media didn't seem to get as excited about this because there wasn't as much scoring. It got mucked up. They're, they're, the offensive mm-hmm. readings were not there. The Bucks were able to to box them in and stop them from getting any sort of easy baskets at all. And, and to do that after the disaster that was game two and mm-hmm. uh, I think game one, part of it maybe was Kyrie going out, but I, I just think credit to that guy for games. Was it game six? Which game did he go? Game six. Yeah. Didn't play Brook in the fourth quarter. Knew mm-hmm. that the small ball lineup was working, stuck yep. with it and was like, okay, switching one through five right now is working really well. We're just going to run with that game seven. Brooke has it rolling and that gamble pays off because he has the biggest block of the series. Right? So he was willing to stick with some of his principles, believe that they were going to work. That has gotten him burned in the past, but he thought that it could work tonight. And the Bucks defense was really good all series. Tonight, I think, was probably the Nets. I think in terms of offensive rating, they had a 117.7. Besides game two, might have been their best one out of the series. But, I mean, credit to Bud for, at the very least, like, leading some defensive charge, mucking things up, making it really hard for a Brooklyn Nets team that I, I do not think a lot of other teams, even with a, a, a hurt Nets squad, they played hurt all year. Like they have, they had lots mm-hmm. of practice reps without these players together. And mm-hmm. I know James yeah. Harden was hurt or whatever, but like that dude facilitates, he still can facilitate a lot of offense, gets cheap fouls, all that kind of stuff. So I think credit to Budenholzer for doing really great on defense. Um, Figure out what what's going on with the offense, please. That's that's quite frustrating. Um, yeah. Any? Do, do we want to talk at all about the refereeing in Game Seven? I mean, uh, the refereeing uh, in Game Six as well wasn't great. The game Seven was bla- like Game Seven was just bad for the jump. Game mm-hmm. Six was bad once it got close in the fourth. Like once it was like that third quarter, fourth, like beginning of fourth quarter was like this game is hanging in the balance. But Game Seven was awful, and. Even game five, some of the fouls that Drew Holiday got, it's like he is getting screened into James Harden, and James Harden hooks his arm, and they call a foul. And it's like, what more is Drew Holiday supposed to do? 
Mm-hmm. Like unless he flails his arms and looks like he got knocked out like Mike Tyson, it, it, there's no way he was going to be able to do anything. It kind of it was just frustrating letting a bum like James Harden get away with his bum ass antics, and everyone mm-hmm. knows it. Everyone knows what he is going to do. And in Game Six, it was a little bit better at times. Well, there were times where James Harden was clearly trying to get a call and they didn't call it, and that was fine. But good God, was Game 7 a terribly officiated game. And even Game 5 was terrible. It's just that Milwaukee shot itself in the foot so badly that you couldn't even blame the refs for that. So it is like I don't know what could have been done. or like I don't know. As long as Adam Silver is just going to let this shit happen, then it's going to happen. As long as the refs let James Harden continue getting away with it, he's going to keep doing it. I don't know. It was terribly officiated. I wonder now, if especially if Philly loses, okay, now you're going to – there's no big market conspiracy at this point at least. Like your biggest team – like you saw the Clippers, but it's also the Clippers. Like no one gives the Clippers that much respect even if they're L.A. So if Philly goes out, I wonder how the viewpoint of people <laughs> and the officiating is going to be moving forward. Yeah, the – um. <laughs> The ticky-tack nature of it all is probably the most frustrating. And it, if we play Atlanta Eastern Conference Finals, it's going to be Trey Young is going to be that, except he'll like have legs or whatever. I don't even know if James Harden is really hurt. He's just using an excuse to burnish his legacy. We'll talk about it. I hope people come from James Harden. KD, everybody gets to burnish it. I hope everybody comes to James Harden. I'm done with it, man. It's what? How frustrating is that as a neutral fan to watch that? And I know it, clearly he doesn't care what anybody cares or like, you know, but have a little shame, man. You know, like some of, in game six, some of the three point attempts where he like, he's literally, his body is horizontal in the air to try and like draw to grift a foul call. He gets one early in game seven on Giannis where he grifts that three pointer. That's it's it's disturbing and it's really strange that the refs fall for it or I guess they're just they're so inundated or like so drilled down that you have to call it as a foul because they're not landing properly. But I, I you know when they just start let that call go, I was like, oh my god. And, and, but the other thing was, thank God at the end of the game, fourth quarter overtime, they let the guys play. They for the most part now that the. They could have called Blake for that foul on Drew Holiday, but for the most part, the defense that they they got PJ on a BS off ball foul. But the defense that both teams were playing was super aggressive, highly physical. A lot of dudes is I'm sure it's so easy. Like when a bunch of guys are going up for rebounds to like call you know over the backs, loose ball fouls, whatever. They let the guys play, and the Bucks were good enough, just good enough to beat not only the Nets, who honestly, I mean, honestly speaking. They played really bad outside of KD. They were pretty awful for the and like a couple of Bruce Brown floaters. The, the Nets did not play well. They were kept in it by a lot of free throws and KD going supernova. Um, the Bucks were just good enough to beat both the refs and KD playing as well as he did. Uh, yeah, I'm not blaming the refs guy, but it, it you know when you're seeing that in the first half, especially, it's like I can't believe this is really happening. It's it's hard to watch. Yeah, it was frustrating. I, there's like no other way to say it. That was it was yeah. it was crazy. Like the just the at the end when like KD was driving in and does the crazy thing where Drew goes straight up, but yeah, KD uh-huh. just like throws it randomly out of bounds and he gets the shooting yeah. foul. Like whatever, that was frustrating. Uh, I mean, a, underrated small thing. I, I want to talk just a little bit more about the series in general. I think was the Bucks finally getting the Nets to turn the ball over a little bit. In the first couple mm-hmm. games, the Nets would have like seven or eight 
turnovers. If you look at their turnover percentage, it was 7.3, 7.6, and then 6.7 for the through the first three games, which is insane. That's incredibly low. Would have led the league by a huge margin. Um, definitely buoyed the Bucks in game four. Were able to get some transition points, helped them in game six. They were able to get fast break points. Uh, even in this one, Nets turn it over 13 times. Bucks get 20 points off those turnovers. They don't have a ton of fast break points. They actually have less fast break points than the Nets. But that was that was a huge part of, of, of the this tide turning a little bit as the series went on. And then also, if you look at the other thing we were saying, Bucks need to have a ton of offensive rebounding. Game six, and get, so offensive rebounding rate in game six and seven was 33.3 and 34%, which is crazy high. It's crazy high. And the two previous games were 9.1 and 10.5 for the Bucks. <laughs> insanely small for a team that has way more size. So credit to the Bucks for saying, hey, we're going to crash the glass against these guys, get some big offensive rebounds. So those were two stats that stood out to me. Um, other general thoughts on on the series, Kyle? What other narrative points should we hit? Um, well, it's kind of funny that the turnover rate increase in the games that James Harden played in. What a weird coincidence. <laughs> I don't know. He could say he was hurt. He probably was hurt. But if he was as hurt as he said he was, like a grade two tear, you shouldn't have been playing, let alone playing as like it was it was hampered. But I was like, you that's a multiple week injury. That's not something that you recover in 10 days and miraculously would be able to play. So I don't want to hear it, James Harden. You're just a choker. You've always been a choker in the playoffs. Your bum ass got found out in the playoffs again. <laughs> Remember when all those Houston fans are trying to stand for? Imagine having a James standing for James Harden. Like you got to be just the most sad, pitiful person in existence to stand for that type of guy. Like a guy that clearly he has the talent, but he needs to cheat and grift and bum his way to accolades. That's why no one respects him. That's why no one likes his ass. That's why when he was in Houston and they left, everyone was immediately happier. Even when they went on a losing streak, at least they, things were happier. He goes to Brooklyn. God, that is a sad thing. To lose in that way, too, it's kind of great. It's funny because mm. there are a couple teams, like, I don't know, Miami, that could have gotten James Harden, but they decided not to trade Tyler Hero. What does that say about <laughs> you? Like, you don't, they don't want to trade Tyler Hero for you. Philly doesn't want to trade Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons mm-hmm. might be the most overrated bum in this league. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet they don't even want to say we're going to get rid of this guy so he can get James Harden. No one wants to build a team around James Harden. No one wants James Harden as their focal point of the franchise player. It didn't work with Chris Paul. Chris Paul is somehow in the Eastern Conference. Chris Paul's in the Western Conference Finals. It didn't work with Clint Capella. Clint Capella might be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm just saying, like, look at James Harden is not a team that you build your franchise around. James Harden is a great number two or number three option, but he cannot be your number one because he will choke every time. And Blake Griffin. Wow, you preach, preach. Keep going, Kyle. Keep going. <laughs> your bum ass, your dirty playing bum ass deserves this because you okay. look like absolute trash. You look geriatric as fuck in Detroit all of last year. Marcus Johnson's even saying it's a miracle you were able to run up and down a court. You look washed. You are washed. And the fact that you then get to Brooklyn and look like this man that somehow went into a hyperbolic chamber and got like some stole someone's legs. And look good again? No, 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 no. This is what your ass gets. You can't sandbag your way out of karma. Congrats, Detroit. I mean, this isn't, you know, a championship or anything. But it must be good for Detroit fans to see this loser 
bail on your team, go mm-hmm. try and chase a ring and still not get that ring. And once again, maybe Chris Paul is much better than we thought. And I don't want to make this a Chris Paul Drew Holiday thing, but it's clear that Chris Paul was the only reason why these teams were even respectable. Because when you have a bum like Blake Griffin, you can't get to Western Conference Finals, and then he leaves and you get there. And you have a bum like James Harden, maybe you can get to the NBA Finals and you get there. Those two are the epitome of what is wrong with the NBA. I'm glad they lost. I don't give a damn if their fans get mad. If you are a fan of James Harden, you are a bum, and I want you to just yeet yourself into the sun. Yeah. That's it. I think my where extremely well said, Kyle. Um, and I think we should definitely that'll be our podcast intro for next scene is that whole Perfect. rant. It'll be it'll be a four minute intro, but that's fine. I think um, my narrative points are don't respect to KD. I, I saw a lot of people like I respect KD even more now. I respect him simply because he almost killed us multiple times. I respect that. Um, still not like going to forgive the whole Golden State thing. This was, don't let KD's performance, everybody, Bucks fans don't need to be told this, but like the NBA, and I'm sure they don't have to be told this either. Don't let it distract from the fact that the Nets, again, are an artificial creation of dudes who, who bought into the worst part of modern basketball. Let's just team up together in some random city. How wouldn't that be cool? What if me, Kyrie, and James Harden all got, how fun would that be? We could just win everything. It's, and fat loser James Harden slumming <laughs> it with it. That I don't like Houston Rockets fans. I don't like James Harden, but he he became their franchise. And on the way out, when things got tough, he disrespected the hell out of that fan base. Hopefully, they got you know the scales fell from their eyes. But do not respect the Nets. Don't say they had heart. They don't have heart, man. They teamed up. They got Blake Griffin again as you know loser, big loser. He came out of here. He lost. He was out there. He lost. And I think there's so much of a, like, KD, because of the way he played, it's going to rub off. They're they're the epitome of what everybody dislikes about basketball, except for the, like, the glory hounds, the guys who only care about how many titles can you add up. That's the only, and, and that's the worst aspect of basketball. So I don't respect the Nets at all. I'm not going to go all the way and write, like, a dance on their grave sort of post like it did for Miami, but I don't respect Brooklyn even a little bit. I, I think there's a lot of problems there. Two, for everybody, the Bucks, Bucks fans don't need to hear this, but people are going to go out of here if, let's say, we go on and win a title. You can already see it. People are like, oh, well, it took four injuries to the Nets to, you know, to whatever. You know, the, the Bucks didn't do anything all that impressive. It's exactly right. Adam's doing the old double bird right now. As you said, one, the Nets played hurt all year long. This is not something new for them. They took three dudes, some of them with catastrophic injury history, and they tried to bet that it was going to be okay. And you know what? James Harden, bum, hamstring, gave out on him. Whose fault is that? Whose fault? Is that supposed to be our fault? Are we supposed to be sad about that? Are we supposed to be sorry about that? People trying to paint Giannis as some corrupt player who purposefully injures Kyrie Irving. That's, I mean, again, the worst The worst part about basketball discourse is something happens, a basketball play happens, I don't think, you know, even, you know, the Nets, I don't think anybody over there complained. It just happens. Kyrie gets injured. Them's the breaks in sports. There's no invalidation. We came out here. Everybody was healthy for us. The Nets all see, they had like two games together where all three guys, I'm sure it was more than that, but essentially nobody played together all three all season long. Like I said, they should have been ready for it. They played great. KD played great given the circumstances, but you cannot invalidate the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks, who for, Almost five decades, they lose this game, they lose this series. That's all they ever do. That is what they do. 
and they didn't do it. It is a legacy defining win because, and a franchise defining win. People say, ah, well, you'll look back. I'm not going to look back at that, man. They looked death right in the face and death blinked first. And we're going on to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's, I don't want to hear any of it. I, if we win the title, I'm coming for everyone. They better watch out. I mean, every what I was going to do to Drew Holiday, I'm doing to everybody. Everywhere I go, they're never going to hear the end of it. So I, it, it's just so satisfactory that nothing can bring me down. Nothing can bring me down toppling this team. To beat Goliath like that, it's a beautiful thing. Didn't Brooklyn also beat a Boston team that didn't have Jalen Brown because of injury? So I don't want to hear your bullshit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's just it's there's so much turnabout. It, this is like every single season. You always go in. Well, it's, it, it's, the whole like hunting for an asterisk thing these past couple of years. It, that's tiresome too. Just enjoy the basketball, man. It's it, you play whoever's out there. If you win, you win. That's it's sports. People get injured all the time. It's it's silly. I I really I tire of that as well. It, the counterfactuals. Who knows, man? We win. That's all that matters. I just want to say, uh, Bradley Beal, CJ McCollum, don't try and like backtrack and act like you uh-huh. were innocent. Yeah. We saw your slander. A lot of these NBA dudes on NBA Twitter that are verified, we saw your slander. Don't be don't be trying to backtrack and act like, oh, well, it was a great series. No, 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 no. We saw the slander. You didn't want Milwaukee to win. Just say that. Just mm-hmm. have some self-respect. I'm, I'm so glad you said, Riley, we can't let KD's incredible play rub off on the on the Nets roster they, they, you're right they do not deserve the label of playing with heart I do not want to hear Blake freaking Griffin gritty role player wow he played uh-huh, so yeah. hard he played dirty uh-huh. as hell the whole series was uh-huh. got some absolute BS calls the entire time was throwing his body all around the court if he ever hit the ground his hands were immediately up in the air presuming he should have got a foul call it was absolute BS Kyrie, I'm sorry about your ankle, but guess what? Giannis, that happens to him like six times a year, and his ankle's mm-hmm. fine. His ankle's yeah. strong as hell, okay? That's because you got mm-hmm. weak ankles and you can't deal with mm-hmm. his foot yeah. falling underneath you. It, I do not want to hear any of the national narratives being like, well, the Bucks should have had this and this. They should have had this and that. Uh-huh. They should have had it and uh-huh. that. Well, guess what? They got it in seven. That's all that really matters. And I don't uh-huh. want to hear people saying, wow, this, God, this series really was a letdown. You know how many series have even one good game in them? One good game? So few. So few. You just got an all-time Game 7. An all-time. Last time you had a Game 7 in OT was 2006. So I don't Mm want to hear anyone say that the series was a letdown. You got an all-time historic Durant game, which everyone got all up in a tizzy, and it was a freaking crazy game. Just sucked that it came against us. You have two all-time freaking games in one series, and – if, if I hear anything more about how much of a disappointment this was, I am I'm just going to lose my mind. Because guess what? Most series, there's blowouts. There's all this other kind of stuff. Lots of people were saying before the series, there could be tons, tons of different blowouts in here. I would. This was an incredible series. Obviously, incredibly biased person saying that right now. <laughs> but I just don't want to hear people saying, what a slog. That was so awful to watch. It, it's going to be – it needs to be remembered by Game 7 and Game 5 because we only remember the memorable moments from, like, one game of a series and it defines the whole series. We barely talk about the other stuff. So I, I just don't want to hear any of that slander either. James Harden's yeah. a little bitch. Blake Griffin's a little mm-hmm. bitch. And little mm-hmm. bitches don't win wings. <laughs> Amen. We can That's, just end there. We don't need to do filler. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we have nothing else to say. Um, Kyle, do you want to get your film review in, though? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, so. <laughs> tone shift. Let's do a tone shift real quick. No, 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 no. It, it's Tonic. a movie. You know, I watched it last night. 
It is called the 2020-2021 Brooklyn Nets. And it's a story about how a team with two guys that decided to team up and try and become the new super team. And they decided to hire a former NBA player who never coached in his life. And last people saw him on TV, he was doing a shitty job at analyzing soccer for the Champions League on TNT. They try and get together, and they realize maybe we don't have it to compete with Philly and Milwaukee. So what do they do? They get some loser who was overweight and hanging out in a strip club in Houston to -hmm. join their team. And then they decided we're still not good enough to compete with these teams. So they decide to get Blake Griffin, a man who was near death apparently in Detroit, and he decides to join. And these ragtag group of individuals get exposed as frauds. Despite Kevin Durant's best efforts, they lose to the Milwaukee Bucks, led by their Greek-Nigerian hero, who decided to stay inside of Supermax and not become one of them. He knew the morals. He took the moral high ground and beats them in a seven-game series. It is a fantastic movie. I highly recommend people watch it. 10 out of 10. Yes. Great yes. And, lose. <laughs> and that is my film review. Oh, God. I love it, Kyle. It'll be on DVD and Amazon. I'm pretty sure there'll be an Amazon documentary. It'll be on DVD in a couple weeks. Otherwise, you can just go to YouTube. Yeah. Oh, man. I love it so much. Um, So, Bucks move on to the conference finals. It's just the conference finals. But honestly, these first two rounds have been insanely satisfying. Look, Mm -hmm. these are two of the most satisfying playoff series wins (laughs) in so long. It's crazy. Other than the Boston one in 2019. Yeah, Boston in 2019 Mm -hmm. was probably the last satisfying series when Milwaukee had. These two have easily passed passed that. Especially because after the Miami series, I mean, we were talking a lot of mess as a fan base. And then it looked like we were going to go out sad. I was like, oh, man, not like this. And we turned it around again. We, we did it again. It's beautiful. Oh, well, obviously, it's episode 100. Thanks, everyone, for listening for this long. Any, uh, each of you, any closing thoughts on, on the series or, or anything else? I'll talk about just getting to 100 episodes. I've not been on all 100, but the fact that the three of us have done this many episodes you know, I did not expect to do a podcast to ever go 100 episodes. So it's kind of cool in that aspect. We've seen a lot of good things. We've seen a lot of terrible things. But it's been a lot of fun. And we'll see how long this keeps going. But yeah, 100 episodes is pretty freaking cool. It is pretty cool. Thank you guys for having me along. Thanks to the listeners, you know, all three of you, including NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, who I know. <laughs> is listening to every and the Bucks players. They listen to a lot of Brew Hoop podcasts. Uh, it's been, I couldn't think of a better staff, better people to hang out with each Sunday morning for the most part, whenever we record these uh, to chronicle this. It's, it's fun that the ride is not over. Uh, fingers crossed. We keep the episode count keeps piling. We have even more to celebrate as we go. along. Yeah. Th- thanks to literally anyone who has ever listened. Uh, just kind of started this. We just wanted to try it again and it's been a lot of fun and I, I really look forward to seeing Riley and Kyle every Sunday morning for our Sunday morning chats with, with coffee and talking about Dante DiVincenzo <laughs> and, and all that kind of stuff. Dante so died for this. <laughs> so thanks. Thanks to everyone for listening. Honestly, it's been a lot of fun uh, and obviously we'll have a ton more and go out and celebrate this Bucks win bask in it. Next game won't be till Wednesday. So we'll have a lot of time to soak it all in. We'll see who we'll get to play after Sunday night's game between Philly and Atlanta. Uh, in the meantime, go to brewhoop.com. We're going to have some postmortem stuff on this series. We'll obviously have look-aheads to the conference finals. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, honestly, if you're not following us, just go back onto the account and scroll through everything that's been happening on the account the last uh, 24 hours. I mean, it's it's worth it just for that. So 
share the podcast with your friends if you want to. This should be a fun one for everyone who's a Bucks fan. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.